Hey everybody, I'm Bill Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you guys are here today, especially on this college Sunday. Man, this is bringing back memories for me, seeing a bunch of you college students out here. I spent 14 years on the CU campus doing college ministry, and so it is so good to see so many of you guys here. Um, look, I want to just make sure you hear from us. This is why we're doing, why we're giving out these bags for all the college students, and why we're, why we're doing a Cuba mission trip. You guys, we're doing a Cuba mission trip at, over Christmas break, uh, right after Christmas, I want to take a bunch of college students down to Cuba together, and we can just hang together for a week. And so why we're doing that, why we're in the, in, the, um, in the cards that you have in there, your little volunteer cards, one of the things that everyone can check off here is that I want to mentor a college student. Why are we doing all that? Because we want to show our college students how much Ascent Church loves them. I mean, we love you. We, I mean, I, we love college students. Maurice and Chris getting up here. I didn't have the heart to tell Maurice that he's wearing a sorority shirt, uh, that Thetas is a sorority, and, and I don't think he knows that. So he's up here repping Thetas. It's really great, Chris and Maurice. Both of you guys, I think both of you had Thetas shirts on. Um, but, but we, you know, we, we love being able to, to care for you and invest in you, but we also wanna, want you to learn, too, what it looks like to invest in a local church. Man, all those years of working with college students, I know that that was one of the hardest things because you're only here for two or three years or four years, and, and you've got, you've, you know, you might only be here for nine months at a time, so it's really hard to feel invested in a, a local church. But we want to help you to, to figure out what that looks like. We want to walk with you in that and, and, and learn some lessons maybe that are going to stick with you for the rest of your life as you continue to try to look for local churches down the road. And so, so that's all part of the overall investment we want to make in college students. So man, get, get one of those bags. People around here over this last month just continue to bring a bunch of stuff in here. And then you should have seen it yesterday. They had tables out there gathering all the stuff together and putting them in these bags. It was awesome. So make sure you get one before you leave today, okay? All right, now let's, get, let's keep going in the, in the series that Jim started this last week. We started, he, he, Jim's calling this, we're calling this Love Handles. I told him I think we should call it Total Eclipse of the Heart. Um, but, but, you know, in the end, that was overplayed this last week. You know, Bonnie Tyler was overplayed. And I think we're all kind of done with the eclipse. And, you know, if I have to hear the word totality one more time, especially from you guys that went, you know, you're all saying how great it was because you need to justify driving to Wyoming for crying out loud. Now, now I know it was great and awesome. Awesome pictures. I wish I would have done it too, but I think we're done with the eclipse. We're going on to love handles. These are, we're talking about relationships this morning, and, and the reason why we're doing that is because we've all got them. We all have relationships. It's relationships between your siblings. It's a relationship between you and your, your mom. It's a relationship between you and the people in your workplace. It's a relationship between you and walking the halls in a high school. It's the relationship between you and your roommates. It's the relationship between you and your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's a relationship between you and your spouse. We've got tons of relationships in this room. And I think for the most part, we can agree that we're pretty good at them. I mean, I think for the most part, yeah, I, I'm okay with relationships. There's some things I can do better, some things that I, I, I would rather not do. But, but for the most part, I'm okay in relationships. But we also know that those relationships can get derailed really easy. We know that we can go through seasons and sometimes seasons turn into years in relationships where you're just not connecting. We know that there's, you just for some reason are button heads at times. 
You know that it gets frustrating at times in relationships. Come on. If you're one of those people that say, I've never experienced that, I don't know if you've ever experienced a relationship. If you're one of those those married couples that say, we've never experienced that, our relationship is perfect. I think you must have got married yesterday because it's not going to be perfect down the road, okay? You're going to be dealing with that stuff. And I feel like all of us are swimming. We're swimming in the pool that is relationships. We're all in there. And some of you guys have heard this before, but... uh, I want to write a book, and I want to write the, the title of the book. I want it to be "Perspectives from the Rim," because uh, because I feel like a lot of times we're swimming in that pool of relationships together. But in the end, sometimes it feels more like a toilet bowl than it does a pool. And when you're in the toilet bowl and someone came along and flushed it, and you got a really slow swirl that's going. We're all in that thing together in relationships. And so when you're in that and you're struggling and you ask friends, hey, what's going on here? They're right there in the bowl with you. You get a text that says, my boyfriend says that he doesn't want to see me anymore. What's that mean? And you go ask your girlfriend that and she says, oh, I think that means he really does still want to be in the relationship and he doesn't know how to say it. You know, that advice is just in the same bowl. And we're all swimming in that same bowl. And every once in a while in our relationships, whether it's with your best friend or it's with your spouse or anybody else, whoever it is, every once in a while we need perspective. We need perspective from the rim. We need someone to throw this thing out there and say, well, you just throw it out there to me and then pull it back in and let me get you up here on the rim where I can give you a little bit of perspective on all this stuff. And that's, I think all of us at times are longing for that perspective. Now, Jim and I can give you some perspective. You know, I, I'm celebrating 24 years of marriage tomorrow, and, and, uh, and so I could give you some perspective from that. Oh, thank you, thank you. Golf clap, that was good. Three-foot putt, that was awesome. Um, you, you know, I could give you some perspective. I've done a lot of weddings, done a lot of premarital counsel, done a lot of marriage counseling. I could give you some perspective, but it's still it's going to be limited because I'm in there with you swimming in the bowl. The person we need to hear from more than anything is the Lord. We need to hear from the person that created relationships. So when he created Adam, he said he needs Eve. He said marriage is in God's idea. He said for this reason a man should leave his mother and father and join to his wife and the two shall become one. The, 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 the author of relationships, friendships, uh, sibling relationships, the author of relationships can give us perspective. And we want to spend the time to get that perspective from God when it comes to all this stuff around relationships, okay? Now, how are we going to do this? We're, going to couch, we, we're couching this thing. Jim started last week. We're couching this series in a, in a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians it's a book that Paul wrote, wrote, a letter that Paul wrote to these people in Corinth where they were just messing around like crazy in relationships and, and they were fighting inside the church, outside the church, over every kind of thing that you could consider fighting over. They were doing all, they were, they were just swimming in that toilet bowl. And so Paul writes this letter and he says, let me tell you what love is. And he writes the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now, now this chapter and this, this paragraph, some people say, is the most beautiful paragraph in all of Scripture. It's the one that's read at tons of weddings. But it's almost a shame that it's only read at weddings because when he's talking about this stuff, he's not just talking about a couple getting married. He's talking about every one of us and the relationships we have and what that relationship could look like as we start to really unpack what God's love looks like. 
And so we get to chapter 13 of Corinthians, and this is what it says in, in chapter 13. He, I feel like when I read this, I sometimes feel like God is sitting right next to me. He's got his arm around me, and he's just going, Bill, I got you out of the bowl. We're sitting on the rim. Our feet are dangling over the edge. And he's got me, got me and he's going, let me tell you about love. And, and this is, you know, love, even, you know, when he says love your neighbor, let me tell you about love. He says, love is patient. Now we could right off the bat just go, um, um, does it always have to be patient? Because sometimes I'm not very patient. I know that Jackie gets a little impatient with me sometimes because I do three quarters of a job. I'm, always, I'm the three quarter project guy. I do three quarters of a, of a project and I don't finish. You know, I'll lay the floor but not put the baseboards on. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put something together and leave the screwdriver out and the nails out and the hammer out and she has to come back afterwards and pick all that stuff up and she goes, Bill, you do an awesome job of a three quarter project and she can get impatient with me on that. And so she could easily be sitting there with God just going, do we always have to be patient? He's going, I know all your circumstances. I know every bit of them. And he's going, I still say love is patient. He says love is kind. He says it does not envy. That's where I'd stop him and just go, envy? Can I envy a little? Can I just envy a little? Because I tend to envy a little. I swear you guys, if I have to see one more picture on Instagram or Facebook of, of one of you guys sitting on your back porch looking out at the beautiful sunset of the Flatirons with your nice little glass of red wine and your plate of cheese and strawberries with your feet up, I mean, I, 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 I look at that picture and I'm going, what world is that that you guys are living in? If I took a picture of that same thing, it would be of my neighbor's house because we're in Rock Creek and you all, you just see the neighbor's house. I don't, I don't know how all of you guys have a view of the Flatirons from where you're, where you're at. I, I, it would be of three-quarter projects being done. It would be a box wine and some chips. And, and, it'd be, and, and, and I'd be sitting there going, geez, thank God this one's over. That's, that's what, so, so, yeah, I'll, I'm envious. I'm envious of the world, the strange world you all live in, that you get to see the beautiful orange sunset every single night, the Flatirons. If you put that on there today, I, I'm going to comment. I, I, I'd stay away from the comments, but I'm going to comment. It doesn't boast. It, it's not proud. You can just picture God saying this with a grin on his face, just going, you guys, it doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I mean, he's throwing this, this life, he's, he's throwing this ring out to us saying, I'm pulling you up to the rim. And let me tell you, it keeps no record of wrongs. Buckle up on that one. We're talking about that today. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. So he's saying, I want to give you that perspective before you dive back in. Because I know you're going to dive back into your relationships. I want to give you that perspective before you dive back in. You guys, what we're going to talk about today, we are really good at. We're going to talk about something today that we are awesome at and God's not very good at. 
I love that. I mean, I mean, when have you ever heard a sermon like that? We're going to talk about what we're good at and God's not good at, okay? We're going to talk through a little bit of that today as we unpack this a little bit more. Let's pray together and we'll get into it. Father, I love it that we get to all be here together from all different perspectives and, and uh, different relationships. And I pray that the one that, that each of us are thinking of the most, I pray that you would speak to that one today. I pray that you would help us to get perspective from the room today. God, be with us, okay? Okay, amen. All right, let's first start. I want to take you back to 1995 living in Seattle, okay? So that's where I was living in Seattle. We're a second year of marriage. You guys, in August of 95, the Seattle Mariners were doing the same thing they were doing for the first 20 years of their history, losing. They, they were the laughing stock of Major League Baseball. Whether you like sports or not, you, if you lived in Seattle, you knew that the Seattle Mariners were the embarrassing part of Seattle. They didn't even have a winning record. When some of you guys talk about, gosh, the last time we were in the playoffs was, I mean, look, the Mariners didn't even have a winning record in all of their history. And we get to 1995 in August, and they're just as bad as all the rest of the years. We'd go into the kingdom to watch a Mariner game, and you could yell across the kingdom to say hi to somebody. You could. We tried doing that because no one's there. It was just this big cavern of empty losses, and that's all it was in there. And so, but what happened was the Mariners started to win. They started to win a couple of games, then four or five games, and then people started to pay attention. And the next thing you know, we are, we are glued to the scoreboard. We are watching every bit, every score that goes by. And, and when you're watching baseball, you're looking at first inning, second inning, third inning, fourth inning. You're, you are paying attention to every score that's happening with the Mariners and the team they're playing against. And then what's happening to the California Angels and the Texas Rangers and the, and the, and the Oakland A's and, and the Yankees and all the rest of the teams, you're paying attention to them too because you're watching their scoreboard and you're watching the Mariners scoreboard. And as it kept going, they kept going. They kept getting better and better. They were 13 games out in August. You guys, if you knew anything about baseball, you'd know that that is an insurmountable deficit. You can't get back from 13 games out. But they kept coming and they kept coming. No team in the history of baseball had ever come back from that far, that far behind in the middle of August. They came back and all, came all the way back to this point where they played the New York Yankees for the chance to get to the American League Championship. And we could not believe it that it was actually happening. And then this final play. They would love a base hit into the gap and they could win it with junior speed, the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My, oh, my. Ah, you guys. <laughs> Okay, this morning I got chills when I saw our college students, but I got more chills right there. Holy moly. Dave Niehaus, man, that is a guy that was announcing every Mariner game since 1977, and he was like, I don't believe it. It's actually happening. None of us did, man. But what we were doing there during those eight weeks in late summer in Seattle, what we were doing during those eight weeks of, of watching the scoreboard every single day and of keeping track of what everybody else was doing is no different than what we do every single day around here. We are really, really good at keeping score. We keep score on everything. We have got, we have got a, 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 a scoreboard that's going, that says me and every one 
else, or maybe even say everything else. We have one massive scoreboard that's going all the time. It's constantly registering numbers. Where do I stand versus wherever the people stand? What's going on in my life compared to other people's lives? How, how is my score standing up against other people's scores? We're always keeping score. You guys, I'm keeping score right now. As I speak to you guys, I'm keeping score. If I start seeing a bunch of wrestlers just sitting around the crowd, you guys, maybe a couple of yawns, I'm going, uh-oh, uh-oh, they're starting to yawn, disengagement, I'm down 10. If I, start seeing, if I start seeing the glow of your phone, if I see the glow of your phone, and you think I can't see it, but I'm way up here, I can see all of the glow of your guys' phone. If you guys want to get on your phone, lean up against the chair in front of you. I can't see that. But when you're back here thinking you've got it and you're just texting right here, I can see it. And I might just start pulling you out of the crowd saying, read your text to the rest of our people. No, I won't do that. But if you're, if, you're, if you're on your phone and I see the glow, darn it, down 20. And then if there's this mass exodus to the bathroom, if it's, gosh, I got to go to the bathroom. And so do I. Wow, so do I. I know I've lost you guys. And I might be down 60 at that point. You guys, I'm, feel, I'm keeping score. When, it's, when people talk about public speaking, a lot of times they say it, it feels like you're just stripping naked right here in front of everybody. It takes the rest of the day to put your clothes back on. When I'm driving home trying to put my clothes back on, if, I disengage, if, if you guys disengage with me and I felt like we just weren't connecting on what we're talking about, I'm just going, man, that was a lot of work, but I'm down 200 from today. And I feel it. Now, I know that the Lord is still working and God's working with whatever happens up here and that the Holy Spirit is still, I know that the Holy Spirit is at work and can still grab hold of you even if I couldn't. But the reality still from that human side is I feel it. I feel the scorekeeping that happens. We're keeping score all the time. Shoot, social media, you guys, social media has made us keep score. We're constantly looking at it just going, where do I stand versus my friends and what are they doing and what am I doing? I got a good friend up in Seattle that, that, that he, he travels a lot with his family and he loves posting all the pictures of his travel. And so I see that he's in Europe this summer and I'm going, well, that one cost $4,000. And then I see, oh gosh, then he went to Hawaii, that's 3,000 more. And then he went to three concerts, you know, and I'm thinking, well, shoot, those concerts were, had to be like 600 bucks by the time he's done with all his family going to him. And then I start thinking about what did I do with my family this summer? Well, I went to Sonic for half off, that was 10. And, and, and I think that was it. So, so 7,600 to 10 in disposable income. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? You guys, I'm looking at his Facebook and I am calculating his salary. And I haven't seen him in a year, but I'm saying, well, I can tell he's got a lot of money or gosh, maybe I should be doing more of that kind of stuff. We're keeping track. We're keeping score. As parents, we're always keeping score. We're looking at our kids versus other kids. And we're saying, well, gosh, you know, my kid's got a, a B minus average. That's got to be worth 20. My kids didn't. They got A's because we're keeping score. So I'll make sure you know that. You know, so and then 20, you know, my, my kids, um, gosh, they didn't, get, they didn't get caught with pot in their locker. That's got to be worth 80, you know. And, and you know, and my kids, um, they, they got, one of them got a $4,000 scholarship to school. So look at that. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. 
And then you come along, you say, yeah, but my kid completed six out of 11 passes in his sixth grade flag football game. Oh, gosh, that's got to be worth 120 points, you know. And, 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 and my kid says, I love you to me. Does your kid say, I love you to you? My kid gives me a kiss at night. Does your kid give you a kiss at night? No. Okay, well, you get 200 more for that. And, and you know, my kid memorized five passages of Scripture this week. You know, well, my kid, I don't think he knows where his Bible's at or even if he's got one. So, gosh, that's going to be 400 more on your side. And we keep track. And we're counting. Our scoreboard's going with everything. And then it gets into our relationships. And our scoreboard is flying in relationships. You guys that are going off to college right now and you guys are settling into your dorm and your living situation, look, you guys are setting, settling into one of the great times of your life of keeping score because you're going to have roommates, that scary world of roommates. And you're going to start keeping score. And if you haven't already, you're going to start. Your scoreboard's going to start going. I made a small list of the things that you might be keeping score of in your living situation that you've got right now in college. When you start asking the questions like this, who used the detergent? You know, you get that detergent. Who used it? Whose hair is in the sink? Whose food's on the table? Whose turn is it to take the garbage out? Who's playing their music too loud? Who's bringing their girlfriend over too much? Who's wearing my clothes? Now that one, I don't think the dudes are, are asking that who's wearing my clothes, but I've heard the girls are asking it all the time. Who's wearing my clothes? Whose car is taking up the whole driveway? Who left the doors locked? Who left the doors unlocked? Who cleaned the toilet last? Another girl thing. I mean, the dudes, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think the, girl, the guys are trying to go through the whole year without ever once cleaning their toilet. In fact, they will give up their damage deposit to not have to clean their toilet at the end of their time together. But, the, you know, who cleaned the toilet last? Who stunk up the place? Who said you could have a party? Who told you you could walk naked around the house? Who ate my last donut? Whose moldy bowl of chili is sitting in the back of the fridge? You ask those questions, you're keeping score. You're keeping score. Moldy stuff in the fridge, that's yours. That's a negative 60. You know, you ate my donut? Are you kidding me? You, that, that's a negative 1,000. Those are, those are gold, you know? You know, you park that car and none of the rest of us can park in there? That's another negative 200. You know, we're keeping score. And, the, and, and in, in your roommate situation, no wonder halfway through the year you're looking for another roommate. <laughs> She's going, man, we're just keeping score. When you look at your marriage, someone asked me, a good friend of mine asked me last week, he said, Bill, what was the hardest year of your marriage so far? And I said, man, it was when our kids were like this tall. Because when your kids are this tall, you are keeping score with everything. When your kids are this tall, you're just saying, um, who fed them last? Uh, who changed them last? Um, who, who, who took them to the park last? Um, who, who took them to Chuck E. Cheese last? Oh my gosh, if I took them to Chuck E. Cheese, that's worth two grand right there. <laughs> who did that last? You know, I'm not getting any sleep and you're getting all the sleep. You got to sleep in four times this week. What'd you do on your day off? You start asking those questions in your marriage because we're keeping score. We got score going everywhere. Is it that big of a deal? Can't we just laugh about it? Well, what happens is this. When we start keeping score, you start owing the other person. You feel like you're in debt to them or they're in debt to you. 
And how in the world are we ever going to get to the point in our relationships where we can actually lift the other person in that place of honor that they deserve? How are we ever going to get in the place in relationships where we're going to live sacrificially for the other person? How are we going to get to that place in relationships where we're going to be, we're going to look for the places of compromise when you're constantly looking at each other saying, you owe me. And I would say that there is an edge of that in every person's relationship. In fact, right now, I could tell you on your bulletin, I want you to put what you think the score is in your relationship right now. Just put your score. What's the score? Who's winning? Just write it down. Now, don't do that because the person next to you is writing theirs down and then you guys will fight and then you guys will leave and you go to the bathroom and, I, and I'll feel disengaged and I'll put a negative tan on here. Don't do that. But, but we're keeping those scores and, and what happens is it gets, it gets worse because then you start to, to ask other questions. You start to say, you know, when was the last time you really pursued me? When was the last time you really said you loved me? When was the last time you really cared for me? And that leads to questions like, do you love me? Do you want to pursue me? Do you care for me? See, what happens is starts is just friction. And that friction's like sandpaper that's rubbing up against something that eventually it starts to wear off that, that thing. And you start to have a gap. And what was little at first in the accounts that you were keeping and the scoreboard that you were keeping gets wider and wider. And then it starts to feel major. And then something minor happens. You spend too much at Target and you go ballistic on that. And why do you do it? Because we've widened such a gap. Jim talked last week about this, about the gap that's in there. And we've got we've to, uh, you know, we've, we've got to believe in each other when that gap is at that place. But it is hard to believe in each other when we continue to keep score. Now look, the relationship that takes the hit more than any of those relationships are the relationship with the Lord. Because if we're doing that with our other relationships, of course we're also doing that with our relationship with the Lord. And we are keeping score. Where, where the offering basket goes around and we say, well, I gave 60 bucks in the offering basket and I worked in the children's ministry. That's got to be worth 200. And, uh, and I'm thinking about going to Cuba. That's got to be worth 400, at least thinking about it. And so, so, you know, I've got 660. And so God, I think you owe me. There's times where we do that, where we put that $60 in the offering plate and then a bill comes up later in the week and you just go, God, what's the story here? I gave, you owe me, take care of this. But far more than we're us going to that side of it that God owes us, we start worrying about how much we owe God. We start thinking about the sin in our life and we're just going, oh gosh, you know, I've got this addiction that I keep giving into. That's negative 2,000. I've got this, I, I, I knew that I was going to do this. It was premeditated and I still did it anyway. That's another 4,000 down. You know, I've got this, this past that continues to haunt me, the stupidity of my past. And I know, God, I still owe you for that. And that's another 10,000 down. And we start looking at God going, God, do you love me? God, how could you care for me? Not in the place that I'm sitting in. Not with this much, this much that I owe. How in the world could you even love me? Man, that's a scoreboard moving and moving and moving constantly in every single one of our lives and every single one of our relationships. And then God comes along. He throws us that little white ring, pulls us up to the rim, and he sits with us and he goes, man, you guys are good at this. 
you guys are awesome at keeping score. And he's going, to be honest with you, I'm not very good at it. For as honest as you, I don't, I, I don't do the scorekeeper. I'm not much of a scorekeeper. You guys, if you really look at it, God's a terrible scorekeeper. Terrible. When you go through the Bible and you see the different people in the Bible and what they did, you just go, oh my gosh, God, were you not keeping score? Look at how bad, I mean, look at David. David in the Old Testament was a man after God's own heart that he wrote a bunch of the Psalms. David was a murderer and an adulterer. If we were keeping score with David, we'd be going, uh, it's like negative 400 to zero. There's, David's got to do some pretty serious stuff in the positive to make that up for us to go in any positive direction. But God still uses him. What kind of scorekeeping is that? You look at Matthew. Matthew's one of my favorites in the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a guy that was robbing from people. He was, back then, tax collectors flat robbed from people, took some of it for Rome and the rest of it for themselves, and everybody knew it. And so when the tax collector came into town, people are going, stay away from that dude. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, bro, I'd love for you to come and walk with me. I'd love for you to be one of my 12 closest friends over the next three years. I'm going to use you to actually tell other people about my love for them. Can you imagine the people around Matthew that are sitting there going, are you kidding me? Do you know what the score is in that one? Do you know how much money that guy has taken from us? They could be going, you're crazy, Jesus. Matthew could be saying that. Jesus, are you kidding me? Me? I'm at negative 700. You can't be using me. And Jesus does because he's a terrible scorekeeper. You look at Peter. When Peter denied Jesus three times at Jesus' most, most intimate moment, at his worst, at his hardest moment, when Jesus was, was being beaten on the cross and Peter is denying him three times, when Jesus comes back and he rises from the dead and he's sitting on the shore and Peter sees him and says, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. And he jumps into the water to go see Jesus. You could picture him just starting to go slow down, maybe going to a backstroke or something going, uh-oh. The score is at least minus three to nothing. At least it's that. What is he going to say to me when I get to the shore? And he gets to the shore, and what's Jesus say to him? He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, but Jesus, I, 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 let me tell you what happened over there. Do you love me? Let, I, I didn't mean to deny. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. All right, feed my sheep. Let's go do the work. Wait, wait. So you're not keeping score? That woman caught in adultery, she was caught in adultery and Jesus comes to her and says, man, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wait, wait, but the scoreboard says something way different. You guys, Philip Yancey calls this the atrocious mathematics of the gospel. <laughs> the atrocious mathematics of the gospel. Where, someone, where a woman can give pennies and this dude can give millions and he says the woman gave more. That doesn't make sense. That's atrocious mathematics, but the woman gave more. It's the atrocious mathematics of the gospel. It's the prisoner on the cross next to Jesus. There was Jesus on the cross. There was another person on the cross right next to him. You talk about someone that had a negative score. You talk about someone whose scoreboard was reading wrong. And when that guy turned to Jesus and says, hey man, will you remember me? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you're going to be with me in paradise. What? He erased a score. What are we talking about, you guys? We're talking about Romans 3.23, what Paul writes in Romans to the people in Rome. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
I love what the message version of this says. He says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us, that's our scoreboard, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. You guys, Jesus took out an eraser, and this eraser is the strange, unearned, unmerited word that is grace. And he poured it out over us. He says, I give you my grace, and that will erase the scoreboard. And so he took it and erased it. He said, there's, there's no more scoreboard. My grace is sufficient for you. Now look, I, I worked on this last week, and I did this, and I erased it, and you can still see it all. <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's not working. You can still see it. And then I thought about it, and I thought, isn't that typical for us in church, that we would hear a message of grace, and we say, yeah, I get it, but I still have a score. <laughs> yeah, I get it, but I still know where I stand with you, Lord. I mean, to me, I started going, this is really what we do. We hear it but we don't let it sink in. And the score still tallies. And Jesus is going, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. There's no more scoreboard. And he says, I'm going to keep working on this. And I'm going to keep working on you. And I know that there's some things on your board that you're going, it won't come off. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it will. And he says, and my, my mercies are new every morning, and great is thy, my faithfulness, and I'm going to keep going. He's going, yeah, but I can still see it. And he's going, and I'm going to keep working. My grace is going to keep working. And he'll just keep working. And he'll keep working on your scoreboard. And you'll want to put some new numbers on there. And his grace will keep working. And he'll keep doing this. Until it almost becomes annoying to you because it doesn't make sense. He's going to keep erasing. The psalmist in Psalm 103 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. See, Jesus leads with grace. And then he does this weird thing. He comes to us and says, now I want you to love the way I've loved you. So now I want you to lead with grace too. Now I want you to jump back into those relationships. And I want you to see that patience has no scoreboard. I want you to see that kindness has no scoreboard. I want you to see that, that envy has no scoreboard. I want you to start looking at each other and I want, you to start, start, I want you to go to each other and I want you to put your hands in the middle with each other and I want you to say, it's time. It's time for me to drop the scoreboard. It's time for me to stop scoreboard watching. He wants you to go to your roommate or go to your best friend or go to your mom and he wants you to put the hand in the middle and say, I'm done keeping score. 
He wants you to go to your spouse that for the last couple of years you've been keeping score and it's drawn further and further away. And he's going, I want you to put your hand in the middle and I want you to say, I am done. I am done keeping score. We have got to be led by grace. Jim and I in this job, you guys, when we first started here at Ascent, once somebody came up to us and gave us some valuable advice, that he, they said, look, your relationship to you with each other, with me and Jim, our relationship might be the most important relationship in this church right now as we first get started. Because you guys cannot keep score against each other. You guys cannot be holding a bunch of things against each other. You can't keep long accounts with each other. And Jim and I, two stubborn guys, two guys that are used to leading on our own at times, we had to make a commitment that every single Thursday we were going get, to get up early in the morning and we were going to get together and talk through everything, what's going on in the church and then where are we keeping score. And there have been mornings that have been tough if we've talked about some of the things that we were keeping score in. But Jim and I have recognized that this is too, too important. We recognize that there is too much on the line for us to be keeping score. There's too much on the line in your guys' relationships. There's too much on the line in your marriage. There's too much on the line in your relationship with your father, with your mom, or with your grandkids. There's too much on the line for us to just keep keeping score. How will we know that we're doing it and we're taking the steps in the right direction? Yeah, man, you'll start to feel it and see it. And you'll be doing the dishes with your room in, in five days in a row and you'll have this strange grin on your face. And you go, I don't know why I'm grinning because I'm doing the dishes again. And you'll know, man, grace is leading here. Grace is leading here. How will we know with God? How will we know with God that grace is leading? A guy named Brennan Manning wrote this. I'm going to finish with this. Brennan, Brennan says this. He says, he tells this story of an Irish priest who sees an old peasant kneeling by the side of the road praying. Impressed, the priest says to the man, you must be very close to God. The peasant looked up from his prayers, thinking for a moment, and then smiles. Yes, he's very fond of me. When I read that, I wrote in the margin, can I say that? Can I say that about God? Can I say that God is fond of me? Or am I down 5,000 to nothing? Can I truly say that God is fond of me? If you can sit there and say, yes, my heavenly Father is fond of me, that's a pretty decent sign that we're erasing the scoreboard. That's a pretty decent sign that we're being led by grace. But if you have trouble saying that, and if you're still walking with a massive amount of guilt and you're afraid to go to the Lord with anything, then you got to know that that scoreboard is, is churning and it keeps piping out numbers. And God's coming back to you again and saying, can I continue to give you perspective from the rim? Can I continue to say, come on, it's time to drop the scoreboard. Put your hands in the middle. Look at those relationships you've got and just go, it's time to be led by grace. Father, I want to pray that you would, would help each one of us in our relationships to, 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 to recognize where the scoreboard is going. And God, that's sometimes so hard for us to, to see. Help us to recognize where the scoreboard is going. Help us to recognize where we can call it out. 
even if it takes hard conversation, that we can call it out and say, it is time to be led by your grace. God, lead us by your grace. Help us. As we jump back into the pool, help us to see your grace and to cover our relationships with it. It is in your name we pray. Amen.